How do you experience renewal in your life? Every one of us, no matter what situation we're in, are always seeking to improve our lives. But often our pasts haunt us. You can be resolved and determined to move forward, but our past holds us back. How do we get out of that trap? On one hand, not ignoring the past, but also not letting it hold us hostage. As we prepare for the new Hebrew year, Rosh Hashanah, this is a perfect time to begin anew. But how? So please join me for this special New Year edition. Look back, move forward. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and welcome to a special Rosh Hashanah New Year edition. Look back, move forward. The secret to achieving renewal. This program is dedicated with tremendous love and admiration to Sophia in honor of her 26th birthday. May Hashem shower blessings on you and all who have the good fortune to know you. Every one of us would like to improve our lives. That's pretty much a rule. No matter what you've gone through, whether it's been difficulties, pain, anxiety, suffering, traumas, or even if your life has been a beautiful life, the nature of the human being is not to stagnate and not to remain in one place, but to actually grow. However, how? How does one do that? The fact is we are all products of our past. Meaning, our past experiences as children, as students, society around us, have in many ways shaped us. Especially in our early impressionable years, there are things that become etched in our psyches, very difficult to just dislodge fears, insecurities. And it always expresses itself, especially in the areas of our more emotional lives, our relationships, intimacy, personal connections, attachments, or lack of attachments. So though we may be resolved and determined to move forward, but our past haunts us and often holds us hostage. How many times have you made a resolution to do something? And you really mean it. You're sincere, driven, but then for some reason the inertia of your status quo, the inertia of your past holds you down like a gravitational pull that's not neutral at all. It doesn't let you move forward. 
So how do we look back while also being able to move forward? We can't ignore the past. Maybe sometimes we can, but most cases we can't, even when we try to. But you don't want to be held back by your past. So what is the formula? So a good place to begin is something that we read. A famous story of Abraham in the Bible. The first time we describe his first journey, maybe the first journey really documented, is when he's told, leave your homeland, your birthplace, and the home of your parents. Those three expressions. Your land, your birthplace, and the home of your parents. And go to the land that I will show you, is what God tells him. Now, if you think about it, it seems strange. When you tell someone directions to go somewhere, they know where they are. You don't have to elaborate. They need to know how to get to the destination, what stops to make, and what direction to go. North, south, east, west, where to make turns, and so on. Here, it seems reversed. When it comes to the destination, it's very vague. The land I will show you. When it comes to the point of departure, it's elaborated upon. Your land, your birthplace, the home of your parents. But therein lies the secret of a journey. And therein lies the secret of renewal, especially we're about to enter the new year. And the key here, interestingly, even though you always hear, define your goals, your objectives. What is your destination? Where do you want to reach? And then... Retrace the steps and make a plan to get there. But here, interestingly, there's another most important factor. Because psychologically, it's true you need to have a destination. But you have to know that there are forces, sometimes invisible forces, and those are the hardest ones, because you can't see them, that hold you back like a ball and chain. And those come down to, in one word, the word called subjectivity the prejudices, the biases, the attitudes we've developed for good or for bad from our past. And if you don't free yourself from that, or at least be aware of it, all your destinations and all your goals, as noble and beautiful as they may be, will be withheld from you because you are being tugged back by a past that you've never really freed yourself from. What is subjectivity? Subjectivity is a blind spot or blind spots. It's attitudes that can be ingrained in us and as we shall see, not necessarily inherent, but they become like inherent, like second nature. That shape, that color, the lens through which we look at life around us. The confidence we have or the lack of confidence. The security we have or the lack of security. And they break down into three categories. Your land, your birthplace, and the home of your parents. Let's begin with the first, your birthplace. We have inherent subjectivity which is called 
the fact that every one of us has an element of self-love that colors our perspective. When it comes to someone that we're not connected with, not ourselves, we can be far more objective. When it comes to ourselves, we have many blind spots. Just the natural subjectivity of a human being. Self-interest drives you. And as such, it shapes and distorts your perspective on things. You can't escape that, but you can become aware of it. That's why there's a concept, let's say in the legal world, called recusing yourself. If a judge or another authority that has power over a particular case has self-interest, it's a case about his brother, his sister, himself, some business interest, or some, or some prejudice for whatever reason, the right thing to do, the honest thing to do is recuse yourself. I can't get involved. Why? Because of that inherent self-interest that's around you or your family members or your interests. That doesn't mean you're no longer subjective. It means, however, that you're honest enough to acknowledge it. And the first step in freeing ourselves from the blind spots of subjectivity is awareness. Knowing. And not denying it, and not minimizing it, and not covering it up, and not allowing the bias, actually, to blind you to the point where you say, I'm not biased. Very often our subjective interests drive us, and what our mind does, being shaped by our subjective interests, a smart person covers your tracks, and you actually justify things that are not justifiable. You know how to find excuses, you know how to cover up, etc., so that's the first thing we need to be aware of. So whatever journey we embark on, moving forward, you need to look back and say, okay, what are the forces that shape and define me? Second subjectivity, the home of our parents, parental attitudes. They shape us. When we're young children, we're like a warm ball of wax. Everything that happens in our lives, big or small, becomes etched in that wax as it hardens into an adult. As we mature, it becomes part of who we are. That doesn't mean you can't reverse it, but you need to be aware of it. Parental attitudes. As much as we may not like when someone says, hey, you're like your father, you're like your mother, as you get older, you start realizing you do things like they did. Not because you admire them necessarily. It could be for that reason too. But it became like the natural reaction. Your mother had a tantrum every time something happened. That very often, that becomes your modus operandi. That's what you do. If your father withdrew every time he was anxious, that often becomes the way to be. And you don't even know there's another option. And you may be even surprised to hear there's other options. That's children are impressionable. It's beautiful on one end, it could also be very destructive. If your parents invalidated you, criticized you, or in general were critics, you'll often be very similar. Because that's where you learn your first way of reacting to things. The love of your parents, how they loved each other, how they love others, will often be the way you gravitate, the way you love. Can we change it? Of course. I've seen people with terrible dysfunctional parents, and they learned by process of elimination what not to do, and they became beautiful people. But it's still a struggle, and it's still a battle, and it's still something we need to be aware of. That's the second, attitudes. And the third is your land, your society. 
social influences, your peers, friends, and in general, the social standards often are not very, very constructive. Many of us may remember, I remember in high school, we read the book, this short story called The Lottery. Chilling story, but it leaves that impression on you. Briefly, in a small little town, they're all preparing for a great celebration. You have no clue what the celebration is. People go shopping for the best clothing. It's going to be a day of festivities, meals, school is out, work is out. Everybody's preparing for this special day. The day of the lottery. You know, it's a whole build-up. Let's cut straight to the chase. The day comes. Children are dressed up. Parents. Everyone's excited. They come to the center of the town. Big circle of all men, women, and children. And a box is put there in the center. Everyone's supposed to put their name in. A lottery will be drawn. Lots will be drawn. A name will be drawn out of the box. Again, you have no clue what's going to happen. It also seems so beautiful. Everyone dressed in ribbons and balloons. It's party time. And then they draw a name out. And a very huh, non-dramatic, almost, uh, what can I say, banal way, which makes it even more chilling. The person who's chosen is put in the middle of the circle and they stone him to death. Unceremoniously, without passion, without feelings. That's it. Custom of the town. And they all go back to their lives. Of course, it teaches you what conformity can be. Herd mentality. What happens when we become brainless and we just follow society? Now, I'm not suggesting that everything we follow in society leads to stoning someone to death. But it could be the equivalent in our attitudes, how we blacklist people, how we cancel people, cancel culture, how we do things mindlessly. That's what everyone's doing. I mean, there are studies made that if authorities would round you up and say do certain things that are inhumane to another person, people would do it because they're being told by authority, by police. Look at Nazi Europe. Look at Nazi Germany, what happened. See, even good people can become monsters under certain circumstances. I'm using, of course, extreme examples. But the point is society has impact on us. And I include society, media, Hollywood, Broadway, entertainment, sports, social attitudes, social mores, politics, what we watch, advertising, marketing, it shapes lives. That's why people spend billions of dollars in marketing. What do you think? Because that's how you gain customers. You push the right buttons. Do this, you'll gain pleasure. Do that, you'll avoid pain. So that's the third level of subjectivity. So you take these three, your inherent and natural subjective self, parental attitudes, society and everything that comes with it, you can rest assured it's quite an uphill battle to find your voice. That's why Abraham is told the most important thing, leave, leave your, your subjectivity, your natural subjectivity, parental attitudes, social mores, social pressures, 
And then you'll discover who you are. Someone asks you, who are you? How do you know it's not just a product of your environment? Who are you? When you're able to recognize those three forms of subjectivity. I'm not saying you can change them, but recognize them. And then see them for what they are and recuse yourself, so to speak. And being able to look at something is asking another person, what do you think? Checking yourself, then you know you discovered the land that I will show you who you are. It's not just I'll show you the land, I'll show you who you are. Because when you remove those forces at, to some extent, that's why when we leave home for the first time, go to school, camp, summer camp, or actually move out of our homes. Yes, on one hand, we'd love to have the comfort of the, umbil- the umbilical cord or the figurative umbilical cord in our lives. But where do you discover yourself when you're suddenly out on your own? Now, in a good situation, your family always remains your support. This is not a suggestion rejecting everything that your parents gave you. There could be beautiful things, but owning them, it has to become yours. So the key, my friends, is looking back and moving forward. The looking back is not meant to be controlled by the past, but looking at it and saying, what is it about it that has shaped me? Just to use an example that just happened last few days, I was... Someone came to see me, some counseling. Grew up in a very judgmental home. Both mother and father, but especially father, was very judgmental. And he is also judgmental. He says, right away, I see somebody, I see something, I meet someone, I'm already rushing to judgment. And it bothers me, because it's not right to do. I don't want to be judged, why am I judging? How do I extract that from myself? Perfect example of a parental attitude. So I said, well, you're here. The fact that you're aware, awareness is half the cure. It's the beginning. Now, let's look at it as not who you are, but something that you assumed. Not every attitude becomes you. Even though you may think it's part of you, it's not necessarily the natural you. So what you do is not just you check it when you feel judgmental. Find something positive about a person. Make it your deliberate effort that whenever you meet someone, without even, even before you become judgmental, find something positive. The best defense is offense, instead of fighting the negative. And if you make that your habit, slowly, slowly, you'll develop that attitude, that approach. And when something does come up that you seem to want to gravitate toward judgmentalism, you'll have something to hold on to. One second, this person has certain qualities. Now, of course, there may be certain areas where not judgmentalism is justified. I don't believe that at all. But where you have to have discretion and realize this person may do have something that you maybe, maybe you shouldn't go into business with them. Maybe you shouldn't become a partner. Maybe you shouldn't marry that person. But that still doesn't mean you have to be judgmental. That means it may not be the right thing for you. That's a perfect example of you looking back and moving forward. You're looking back because at least you recognize that you have this component. Don't think that judgmentalism is something to just say, oh, you know what, that's who I am. Or you don't even realize you're being judgmental. So looking back is necessary. That's why we have to be told, here are the forces, your natural subjectivity, your parental, parental attitude, society. You need to know that. But the next step comes, the moving forward. And that comes down to who controls your life, who defines your life.
Is it your life circumstances? Or is it your soul's destiny? Those are the two choices, yes. Things happen to us, but that doesn't define who you are. Who you are is your soul. You're a spiritual entity on a physical journey, not a physical entity on a spiritual journey. And that's where the real moving forward comes from. That discovering I was put on this earth, there are many things that happened in my life. My personality, my own subjective interests, my parents, my family, and my society. It's all part of my life. But who controls the navigation? It's the captain of the ship is your soul. So if you really want to move forward, you need to have both those elements. I always love the expression they associate with Rabbi Shneir Zama of the Adi, the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad Chassidus, who teaches, whether he said it about himself or was said about him, that he taught a person how small you are and how great you can become. There are people who know how small they are. They'll tell you about all their flaws and, and mistakes and how their shortcomings and how they can't do this and they can't do that. I can't do it. That's not for me. And there are people the other way around. They have illusions of grandeur or delusions of grandeur. They know how great they can become. And they may have even a point there. Maybe they do have that great potential, but they don't know how small they are. The key to anything is, is the honesty of knowing where you are and where you, want, where you can be. If you're only trapped where you are that's looking back, then you're never going to really grow. Your own negative attitudes, your own self-perception, your own negative self-perception will keep you holding you back. That's why you must know. Look forward. Move forward. Look up. On the other hand, if you only know where you can be, what you're capable of, but you have no clue of your own limitations, you're never going to get there. Because you don't even know that these limitations are going to hold you back. You're convinced that they won't. Of course you need to have a gung-ho attitude and a positive attitude. Absolutely. When you drive your car, the main thing is to look ahead, but you have a rear-view mirror. The rear-view mirror you check from time to time to make sure but you're not focused on looking back. You're focused on looking forward. Brings to mind the story of the Tzemach Tzedek, grandson of Rabbi Shneir when he was a little child playing on a ladder with his friends. And all the children were afraid to climb to the top of the ladder. They stopped the middle, three quarters of the way, a quarter of the way. He was the only one that climbed all the way to the top, this little boy. His grandfather was watching, and he says to him afterwards, why were you the only one that had the courage to climb to the top of the ladder and all the others stopped? So he said, Zaidi, Grandpa. Very simple. In Yiddish he said it. When the other children were climbing, they kept looking down. So they saw how high they were. They got afraid. Oh, so high up. And they scurried down. When I kept looking, when I kept climbing, I kept looking up. I saw how low I was. So it motivated me to climb higher. We all have these choices. It's good to know what you've accomplished, but if it becomes the driving force, then you always say, hey, you know what? Look how much I've accomplished compared to someone else. But when you look at the people who've accomplished more than you, or you look at what you still can accomplish, you're looking up, then it motivates you. So there has to be a combination. But the real focus is always about going forward, moving forward, 
But the looking back is necessary in order to achieve what. And not allowing the past to control you. So paradoxically, it's looking at that past, not dwelling and not being controlled by it, but critical for it to be the springboard for further growth. And that's indeed why whenever we prepare for something new, a new year, a new venture, a new journey, we need two things. Accountability of the past and a preparation for the future. You want to bring new furniture into your home? You need to clean up, vacuum the room, vacuum the house, make sure the dust isn't there. You want to start something new, but you've hurt somebody, you've injured somebody? Make amends. You can't just forget it. You need to clean things up. Not be obsessed by it and not be overwhelmed by it. It's part of the process. You need to remove the old baggage in order to be able to assume new baggage, new responsibilities. And you'll see most mistakes are made when one will focus on one without the other. You focus more on the past, it'll just hold you back. Focus only on the future, the, pa- the, back will come, the past will come to haunt you. Not always. There are things we should just ignore and move on, is the concept of moving on. But especially things that are deeper ingrained, the three forms of subjectivity we spoke about. That needs to be looked at because you need to free yourself, and you free yourself by awareness. So as we prepare for a new year, and as the curtain comes down on the old, and also as we live in a time of transition, not just the new year, the last years, I've already been saying it from the beginning of the 21st century, Remember 9-11 happened right in the first year, 2001. But over time you see it's an age of disruption. An age of disruption. Technology, the internet. Take Amazon, how it's changed the commercial retail way we do business. The disruptions of 9-11, the disruptions recently. covid Disruption of the Trump era. And many others. When we look back at this time, that will be the headline. The age of disruption. But disruption is actually a very positive thing when you understand its context. At the moment, it can be extremely uncomfortable. And some things are actually really not always positive. People have died. People have suffered. But overall, disruption, in the words of the Kabbalists, is a stage of a vacuum and a void between two realities, between two paradigms. Every paradigm shift has to go through some disruption. The egg has to crack for the chick to emerge. You need to melt a piece of gold and turn it into a beautiful ornament. We all throw, go through the awkwardness of adolescence. A mother goes through ba- ba- pain, pregnancy and birth pains in order to give birth to a beautiful child. A seed rots in the ground before it sprouts and blossoms into a tree. Creativity is a child of frustration. The greater the creativity, the more the frustration that precedes it. Why? Because as you change into something greater, a metamorphosis, you have to shed the old layer of skin to assume a new layer of skin. A filled cup can be filled. So wherever you twist, wherever you turn, a twist and turn, you'll find that disruption is the in-between state between two paradigms. 
And when you see it as such, that allows you to navigate. Because what does it do? It helps us move away from the past and move into the future. I've shared this when I remember when I was a kid. In, in the summer in Bungalow County. And I had learned how to swim and I liked joint swimming. Enjoyed swimming. But then I wanted to learn how to dive. And for some reason it was very difficult. There was a diving board. I got on it. And I would run. No. I was afraid of diving. Was it a subconscious fear? Was it an actual fear? That fear of your stomach splitting open? <laughs> Those childish fears. Okay, I saw the diving board won't work. I'll dive from the edge of the pool. That didn't work either. And I would count. You know, you start the countdowns, 10, 100 to 1. And then you start another count. Okay, I'll do it tomorrow. A tomorrow became another tomorrow. Summer passed. I could not bring myself to dive. And I couldn't figure it out why. I was, it's not like I was afraid of water. I swam in water. What's the worst is I fall in upside down and I, and I swim. Let me tell you what finally happened. I started some, a new idea. Instead of diving, I'll sit at the edge of the pool and I'll just do this and I'll just fall in. A very small little dive like that. And then I'll do it. Even that became terrifying to me until someone did me a favor that someone was yelled at by me first. He snuck up behind me and he saw me counting, my counting, my counting, and I'm trying, and just pushed me in. I pushed in, I'm in the water, and I survived. And that was it. After that, it was all gone, the fear. Then I was able to dive standing, and I was able to dive from a board, a diving board, a high diving board. I always wondered, what was it? And then I, th I thought of this concept that we're talking about. Maybe that's it. Standing on the ground, I knew how to do. Swimming in the water, I also knew how to do. But that split second where you're not on the ground and not in the water is like a certain unknown. Even though you know in your mind you're going to end up in the water. But that in-between is not a place we're comfortable because you don't have the grounding and the anchor on the ground. You're not yet in the water where you can swim. That in-between. It's my theory. I don't know if it's accurate. I don't, I've never tested it psychologically. But I think there is a fear because the comfort zone of our present holds us back from really growing into our future. So it's important to have both. You don't climb a ladder 10 rungs at a time. One leg, one foot is on the lower rung, then you move to the higher rung. Then you can move the lower foot to the next rung and you keep moving, moving, moving. That's called the journey. And the same is true in any type of disruption. See the disruption as that in-between place. Yes, it could be uncomfortable. That's exactly why it is uncomfortable. Because it's not your past comfort zone. If it's too comfortable, you know you're not growing. It's just an extension of your past. On the other hand, we're not talking about jumping into a place, but completely, sometimes we need to jump. So it's about keeping that balance, moving forward while looking back. And the same as, that we, as we prepare for a new year. You want it to be new? You have to have a new attitude. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Or as I like to say, if you think what you thought, and you say what you said, and you do what you did, you know what you're going to have? What you had. It's a mathematical certainty. You think different. You speak different. You do different. Then you'll have something different. But difference comes with a price. And the price is letting go of some of that past. 
When I say some, because I'm not talking about cold turkey, you don't have to change everything, but you have to be ready for that transition. I can assure you, do that, and you will have a really new experience. You don't do that, and you just fake it, or you just like want to hold on to the past and make believe like you're ready to go forward, then you continue to be a product. I don't want to say victim, but definitely a product of your past, which you don't have to be. And it's the soul within you that has that vibrancy, that has the courage. Courage you may not even know you have, but you find courage by acting courageously, and then suddenly you say, yeah, I have it. You find confidence by acting confidently. And doing it step by step with the support of others and recognizing, wow, I could achieve things that I never thought I could. And new vistas and new horizons open up. Look back, move forward. With that, I want to wish you a very happy new year. One that new channels of blessings are bestowed upon you all in excellent and great health, abundance materially and spiritually. Those that need a blessing for children, healthy children, may that be fulfilled. The blessing first, finding your soulmate. Or you have your soulmate and discovering new ways to connect, overcoming the challenges or the anxieties of life, dealing with our internal struggles and fears and insecurities, growing through them. May this be a year where all that is fulfilled and beyond a year of personal and global redemption. And that should be unconditional. And yet, at the same time, the more we prepare, the greater the receptacle, the more we can create the container, the more we, we can absorb and receive and retain. So we do your best, and we'll, each of us do our best to create that container in how to look back, but not be trapped by the past. And with that, catapult us into a more brighter and greater future. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, and I say this blessing in the name of all of us, our wonderful team here. Meaningfullife.com is our website where you can access this and many other programs. Check it out. A full calendar of events, wide array of materials and resources to help you live the most meaningful life possible. To help you discover your personal mission in life. That's our mission. And with that, it's an honor to partner with you in every possible way. So please, I'd love to hear from you. Feedback, thoughts, comments, suggestions. As well as please share what you've heard with others. Being that it's a new year, I also would ask, request, consideration of also helping us. Both in passing on the message, but also financially. With a donation, the name of the new year. Go to MeaningfulLife.com slash donate. And with that, I bid you again a very, very happy year, a sweet year for each and all. And we'll uh, continue this journey together as we enter the new Hebrew year to grow from strength to strength. Thank you so much. Be well and be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.